phantoms upon us, some has left us behind. I feel such a sadness, have a case of the blues. Summer hope is one thing that I don't like to lose. Some call it depression, I call it the fall. When the season upon us changes, it's all. I don't like the feeling of being sad and down, already wishing for spring to spring back around. Autumn, you might be all pretty and sweet, but I know old man winter is right on your feet. Summer has faded, and it's like I blew a fuse, because I have fallen into those autumn blues. It's been a difficult week to be a Sail Sharks fan. There is definitely a sense that we are experiencing the autumn blues, an early season breakdown. But does that mean that all early season hope was misguided? Does it put into doubt the very many positives that the new ownership has undoubtedly ushered in? Has it removed all hope of a good finishing position in the spring? Well, who better to pick through the sensationalist headlines and the panic surrounding our beloved club than the Shark Tank podcast? And specifically with me today, Mr. Alex Odlin. Alex, welcome, mate. Um, It's hard to know exactly where to begin, isn't it? Yeah, I know, mate. The only way is up, isn't it? Um, it's been what a week. It's it's Saturday afternoon was was one thing, and then Sunday daytime was another thing, and then Wednesday morning was a third thing. It's just uh, you know things come in threes, mate. And um, yeah. this week's been prime example, I think. Yeah, I mean, the only way is up. I mean, that is literally true now. Um, I don't think anybody, any of the fans, had us bottom of the league after four games. No, no. Well, I know we're naturally optimistic, but I think even a uh, a start, not even a start like this, I think it's it's mostly because other teams have played much better than we expected and we probably haven't quite hit the heights. Um, so... So, what's, so, was what's indicative for the rest of our season? I suppose that's that's what we want to look at. You know, is there something that is fundamentally wrong with the way we're playing it, playing the players we have, um, and the way you know we're approaching game day? Yeah, I think that's the eternal question that we're probably not going to get an answer to, sort of, for a few weeks, purely because of the Premiership winding down. Then we're going to Europe and stuff, um, but. It did worry me in terms of, you know, there's clearly nothing wrong with our coaching per se because we've, we've been coached by this coaching staff for a long time. We've done quite well. There's nothing wrong with the players because roughly they're the same players as we had last season. Um, I think what what worries me is the depth that of the squad is already looking pretty thin on the ground and it's three games into the season, you know, and it's not like we had a tough pre-season. We had two games, two weeks before it started. So I guess that's the worry that at times on that Wasps game, we we just looked inept at scoring and we looked cut open really easily and we got battered up front. Um, there's a, a mad scrum stat that we won 100% of our scrums, which baffles me because, you know, if you look on, if you, if you watched the game, you would have gone, how on earth are we going to come out with that stat? Um, so it is I think it's probably indic- it probably shows the errors that we've made over the summer and the last season in terms of recruitment and where we've recruited um, but hopefully there is a bit of fight in this team and a bit of dog that we will we will see coming over I mean so you watched it on telly I assume did you 
Um, yeah, yeah, I watched it recorded. I didn't, I didn't watch it live. Yeah. Um, which was even more painful knowing the score. Yeah, yeah, that is, is you've done well there because there's about a million times I've recorded sale when they're on the telly and got home and promptly gone delete. Um, I mean, I still think it's a thing. I know Lewis thinks it's absolute um, nonsense. But I still think it's the thing that we're not very good on telly. No. And I know we're talking about the Jets a bit later as well. And, and that sort of confirmed all of the problems <laughs> to me, that the Jets go on telly and that they can't win either. Yeah. Um, OK, so you mentioned about the, the, the depth and the, some of the scrum um, stats. So being battered up front, we saw in the stats for the extra game that that actually didn't matter so much we did have enough possession what's the situation in this game did we have enough possession were we blunt in attack well you know I thought last week was a bit of a a bit of an anomaly in sales possession game where we don't usually have any um turns out this week we've had 59% possession 61% territory which is baffling um so you know we're we're not struggling for ball. Um, Wasps made 157 tackles to our 90, so we had them working. Um, bear in mind we missed 24 and Wasps missed 27. So um, in terms of tackling percentage, we were we were down there. But you know we made 15 offloads to Wasps 10. We beat 27 defenders to their 24. You know we we attacking wise, I think the the issue is that. And I don't want to go too heavy into the stats and get away from the discussion, but we made um, less meters than Wasps off far more carries. And what Sale have done for a long time on the stats, which I've noticed every week, is made way more meters off less carries than the opposition. And I think that's that's interesting, possibly a bit worrying that our carrying game has sort of gone flipped on its head from being, you know, a, a low volume, high sort of return one to we've started to see that we 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 did more than wasps on the day and actually you think about that first half we were just ineffectual weren't we you know we got to within five meters of the line and that was that was sort of it that was my assessment of it that in the first 20 minutes 30 minutes we should have put wasps away and then we wouldn't be having this discussion but because you know we started brilliantly and then we didn't kick on from that i think that was the the really frustrating thing. Now we were sat there at the time going, we're going to regret this. We're going to regret this. And we did. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder whether it's this confidence thing. I mean, you know, they've had a bad start to the season. Suddenly you start overthinking or, or maybe not taking a risk that you would normally make, you know, an off, an offload that would go to hand that create a try. And, you know, you start playing within yourself, don't you? Yeah. And, and wasps are just a, a, a nightmare side. I, I also think that we talked about this last year, actually, as well with the sale are, pretty potent off I'd say first second maybe third phase ball and then if it goes beyond the third phase we do struggle to win the contact in possession so what we can't do is get beyond the defense so easily after the third phase and then that just makes things really really difficult Um, and we're doing a lot of carrying a lot of hard work for not a lot of meters after the third phase and then inevitably you know we make a mistake and then it's turnover and what that does psychologically, you know, that's such a blow, isn't it? And you sort of, you're pummeling away at the opposition line. You don't get over. Um, and then you know that Wasps will score a minimum amount of points. 
and they've always got that in the back of their minds. They know they've got to score tries. Um, so, I mean, I am a little bit heartened by some of the possession stats that have come out from some of the games we've lost this season. I think it's something that we can maybe hold on to a little bit. You know, that when the cavalry does come in the backs and we have somebody's finishing ability like Chris, Ash- Chris Ashton, um, you know, who's always on the end of some of these breaks or offloads, and he, you know, he picks the right line and can score tries. So, um, you know, maybe that is a positive we can we can hold on to. What about individual performances then? So we talked, we keep getting mentioned by Dimes and everyone else that Cavalry's on the way, but you know, we've got the side we've got at the moment, and frankly, there's not going to be much change in the pack. Um, there was an interesting call again to play Rosser at eight. I've always maintained he is a he's a, he can be an effective number eight, but to go with both Curries on the flank. What's your view of that? Because that's twice this season he's gone with both Curries, and in both games we've lost. Yeah, I think I I like the idea of having the two Curries, but I do think you need um, a bit more bulk. Not necessarily starting. I think two Curries and Ross. You know, if you're playing against Wasps, I don't really see an issue with that. I mean, Johnson's a big lump, but they all they all can tackle. You know, none of them are. You know will be run over easily. So I quite like it as an exciting way of playing, but I do think you need something to change the game up, a big ball carrier. One of my issues is, and I've, I think I've noticed this this season more than last season, is that Josh Strauss isn't actually a massively effective carrier. He does you know, occasionally break the game line, but actually a lot of the time... He goes in, he's a massive guy, and he just sort of hits the first tackle. And he'll go over them and he'll get, go forward, but he won't necessarily you know, be that wrecking ball that you want if you're... So I don't think necessarily that if you're going to play both Curries or whatever, Josh Strauss is even the answer. Because, um, you know, I mean, I, I just think he's a, he's, a, he's a big unit who doesn't really, you know, he doesn't have a lot of footwork before contact, I, th- I think, a lot of the time. He just sort of goes into the person. And at a lot of, you know, at a high level, people are good enough tacklers. Um, to go on the point of individual performances, you know, I thought Tom Curry, Ben Curry, John Ross all had decent games, bar Ben Curry's yellow card, which was, I mean, um, it was absolutely yellow card. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just, I'm sort of thinking, was it necessary yeah. yeah, probably. I mean, you can't, you know, if he'd, if he'd not done it and Bassett hadn't thrown a forward pass, which let's assume that in his head he won't, LaRue scores anyway. Was score and they didn't, I don't think they actually, I think they got seven points from the but they? they didn't get any more. So it wasn't necessarily you know, a massive loss to us, probably. But it was a turning point in the game, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think... I think just took it... it away from us a little bit yeah but then you know you look, we go back up the other end and um, we throw a pass out wide to I can't remember who um, to Denny and Denny yeah. drops it and to be fair it wasn't a great pass and it wasn't a great catch but if we score there we're back in and he would had a clear run to the line so you know moments of accuracy I think um, were a little bit of it but just you know I've not really answered your question there at all. Um, individual performances. Um, Tom Curry, had a, I'll, get, I'll go stats and then I'll throw to you for um, some more, you know, sort of general off-the-cuff things. But stats-wise, Tom Curry had a great week. Uh, he made 15 tackles and he missed one. Um, carries-wise, we're talking... He only made three carries, but 
either back row generally, actually. I'll just go with the back row generally. John Ross made 19 carries for 37 metres, put an absolute shift in. And I think we, I think we were saying earlier on in the season that he wants to shift from tackler to carrier a bit, doesn't he? He wants to develop the side of his game. And it doesn't look like he's doing it because his tackles were, he made 10 tackles, but at the same time he um, made a load of metres on the carries. Um, we've won quite a lot of turnovers. Tom Curry won three defensive turnovers, apparently. So, you know, we. I think that back row worked quite well. I just think we need a bit more coming into it. And maybe last season you would have brought on Cam Neal or TJ Ioane, and we can't do that anymore because we're playing Neal at hook and playing Ioane in Reading. Um, so, you know, that's, that's sort of, from a stats point of view, that was the best bit. The worst bit was defence of the backs. We've got four missed tackles for Jennings and Solomona. Um, so that's that's not great. And then carries wise, no one really made any massive impacts. Um, Yard made sixty six meters, which is pretty impressive. But I'm pretty sure thirty or forty of those were running sideways along the pitch when he tried to step the whole of Wasp's defense from one wing to the other. Um, but no one really like stood out for me. There wasn't a you know Will Griff Johnny was unbeatable. There wasn't a you know some someone over the ball. I thought Ross's carries were decent, but no one in the backs really did anything either. And, uh, and I think it was our weakest game of the season at halfback. Yeah. I mean, we we've been you know singing Will Cliff's praises in a team that's been losing. He's he's had a really good season. He didn't have a poor game, but this was the first game where I was like, De Klerk would have made an obvious difference. Yeah. But also, I thought McGinty didn't have a brilliant game either. He didn't he didn't control the backs. He didn't put the forwards where they needed to be. Um, it wasn't flowing very naturally. The missing tackles in the backs. That's quite interesting because we've had Sam James missing quite a few. Uh, maybe he's made a few more this week, and then Mark Jennings has felt, well, we can't have that. Let's uh, let's make sure we miss we miss our quota. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, we've always known that Denny, Denny does miss a few one-on-one tackles because he just goes in too high. You know, and it's a problem that a lot of rugby league people have, and it's the reason why he's not in the England squad. Um, Denny has not hit the ground running so far this season, which has been a problem for us. Um, Yard's been. Good. I thought he had an all right game again. Um, so I don't. I, I think we, look, look, individual defence has been a problem since the beginning of the year, and it continues to be a problem. Um, and I think that our carrying ability in the front five is still an issue. Um, what did you think to Cam Neal? You know, um, basically giving us a, a second go this this week. We said that he deserves to keep the shirt. Um, did he do that justice? Absolutely. Actually, I I don't think he had a he had any sort of weak points in his game. Um, from from you know when you when I watched the game, I don't think there was any point where uh, there were a lot of times when I watched the Wasp game and I went, "You should have done that differently. You should have done this differently." I thought Cam Neal was really solid, and I think the thing with Cam Neal is he doesn't need to be a star performer at hooker. He needs to be solid. He needs to hit his line out, um, and he he did. He he hit his line out. We're probably losing a little bit in the scrum from it, but I don't think Webber's challenging him for the shirt in the same way that he was last season at the moment. I think, you know, he's... Cam Neal is almost going to benefit from the fact that Rob Webber isn't necessarily picking himself. So not that Rob Webber's doing badly when he comes on, but he's not pushing for the shirt when he comes on. And I think it'll give Neil the starts, give Neil the confidence. And he's not put a foot wrong, really, for pretty much the whole season. Um... You know, I remember going to watch the Doncaster game in pre-season and our line-out was a shambles early on and that was Weber, Weber and Neald. 
Um, and since we've been in the Premiership, it's probably been our one standout from last season, area of improvement, I think, that our line-out now looks relatively solid. Um, I think it was, you know, we we disrupted a couple of Wasps line-outs on Saturday, if I remember rightly. Um, and I think we just, that area, if you want anything to hold on to, um, I I would have them starting next week. I don't know whether you would. I'm interested to see what you think of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's maybe a case of rotating Neil back out and uh, playing Weber away at Tigers. Um, but I think that Neil is, is the first choice at the moment. But that doesn't mean that you, you don't rotate and you know continue to create competition for the shirt. And I also think, uh, you know, we've struggled, we've struggled in the scrum. Um, and, you know, I think that away at the Tigers, they're going to be pretty, pretty pumped up. So I, I might rotate Weber back in. Um, for, for for that game, um, what about impact from the bench? Talking, you know, talking about Weber, um, talking about the other guys off the bench. You know, it's something that we've highlighted all year: lack of depth. It's massive, massive problem for us. There's no game changes uh, are coming off the bench. What about this game? What was your view on the use of the bench? Um, much the same as before, really, wasn't it? That we brought on the we brought on Taras with, you know, I think it was. I'll give you the exact figure just so I'm. I'm not making it up. But on Taros with nine minutes to go, so Ross Harrison still plays 70-plus minutes and our scrum was getting battered anyway. Um, we just... We, there's nothing on our bench. And I, I, you know, I, I sort of sympathise with the management team and the fact that they haven't really got a lot on the bench um, that you would call proven quality. But at the same time, it frustrates me that we're not willing to give them a chance because Gus War has been sitting on the bench all season. I don't think he's had any minutes. And you know, he had two minutes at Quinns, or yeah. three minutes. But you know, in that Exeter game, we we had nothing to lose. Bear in mind, we've not got a bonus point this season. We beat Worcester. I can understand not bringing him on against Worcester. Other than that, we haven't got a bonus point, so I don't see what we have to lose. I don't understand. You know, why are we not? Because. Will Cliff could get his leg broken, you know, in training this week. And it's like, what have you done to prepare for that eventuality? And that is a massive frustration. I'm going off on a tangent again. That yeah. Sale don't no, prepare. Right. War is either ready yeah. to be playing shit rugby or he isn't. Now, if he is in these games where we're a bit further behind, he should be getting more experience. Mm. If he's not ready, then being without the clerk until, you know, October when he would have been playing for basically 18 months solid without a break, you know, we, we should have gone out and, and got some support for, for Will Cliff. You know, we forget the time on his legs so far this season as a scrum half. No wonder he's probably, he's had an off game against Wasps. Yeah. I mean, he's, but he would have covered more miles on that pitch than any other player guaranteed mm-hmm. um, so far this season. So no, I, I think, I think that's fair. Okay. Well, let, let's, let's just, zoom, let's just zoom out um, because it's another loss, isn't it? So, the big picture is we're bottom of the table. What yeah. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I didn't really want you to remind me of that, mate. I've been trying to forget it all week. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a bit disastrous, isn't it? And it's really hard to try and sort of come at it in a positive way, which I usually like to do. Um, I, d- I don't really... I sort of sat there on on Saturday and went, just get used to the fact we're going to lose this game because we never look like winning it. And I don't want it to go back to that sale where we're, we're 
battling for wins and we're sneaking away from relegation by, you know, a, a kick or a player getting or a team getting docked points like we did last time. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's it's not a place I envisage this club being in. And I think the hard thing is that we were on an upward sort of slant. We were doing the right things and we were making progress and we were putting in performances where we thought, yeah, maybe this is a, you know, this is an indication of what's to come. Gloucester last year was like, this is the first time I've seen this team light up a field. Um, and it's sort of come crashing down. And it, it hadn't even come crashing down before Wasps. It came crashing down against Wasps in sort of, you know, the second half when you just realised that we weren't going to do anything. And, I think the reason we're bottom of the table fundamentally is because we haven't got any bonus points. We haven't kept games close enough um, and we haven't scored four tries. So that's... I mean, that is such a good point, Alex. You look at um, Bristol, you look at Quinns, um, you look at Bath. Newcastle. Yeah, they're all picking... Yeah, Newcastle, they're all picking up bonus points. Some of them are picking up you know, two losing bonus, you know, a try bonus and a losing bonus point, or there's a draws flying around here or there. So we, we, we aren't playing good enough. We've scraped a win against Worcester, but we're still bottom of the table and Worcester are above us. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, they've managed, they've been playing well this year. Mm. You know, that they, they should have won the first game of the season against Wasps. Um, they, you know, apart from an interception and a disallowed try against us, they could well have won ours. So I think they'll be looking at their start of the season and think, actually, we've got the, the quality to do it. And finally, it's come together away at Tigers. Whereas I think we're almost the opposite in some ways. We've got to win and haven't looked like doing anything in, in a lot of the other games. Um, I just worry about the confidence. It's up to the players now, isn't it, to dig this club out of this um, and try and get on a roll. We weren't bottom of the table last season, but we had a, a similarly difficult start and then managed to dig ourselves out. And then, on, you know, across Christmas and into the turn of the year, we really, really went on a on a run. So there's no reason why we can't do that again. We've got people coming back. Um, so the bigger picture is things aren't too good. Uh, the summer hope has faded and the autumn blues are here. Um, Alex, what are our people saying on three-word reviews? What what do the what do the listeners? What do the listeners think? Future? What's your three-word <laughs> review then? Autumn blues in. <laughs> yeah, summer hope out. <laughs> um, so three-word reviews this week, as we always do. We've asked you uh, to sum up the game in three words, and it's been the usual mix of uh, pessimism, optimism, and everything in between. Uh, Robin S, clinical decisions lacking. Kieran Quitchard, dimes his time up. Uh, Luke Jones, must improve quickly. Dave Baldwin, no faff. LaRue, um, I had to enunciate that one so that we got the we got the <laughs> right right way around. Uh, Andy Taylor, start genuine eights, um, which I think we've discussed. I don't know, I think, are we happy with John Ross at eight? Just to pick up on that one quickly. No, I, I think we should be, I mean, you know, look, they obviously see Strauss as somebody, as you said, who's not got the footwork on hard ground. So mm. he's more of the smashing through bodies when the weather gets a bit tougher and we're trying to save him. We've gone with Beaumont. Now we've gone twice. We've gone with Ross twice. Um, I, I think we've got to go with Beaumont um, or, or Strauss. They're, they're specialist number eights. Ross can always do a job at eight and he's a leader. But if you go with him at eight, I think you've got to pick a carrier at six or seven. Yeah. 
Um, that's my view. Yeah, no, I I broadly agree with that. Um, I'll crack on. Nick Fogarty, bring back Braid. Um, Mark Travers, basic skills poor. Steve Capstick, Malinda by Christmas. Manco, bye bye Premiership. Max Boyle, forward pack, worrying. And finally, Paul Alexander Burt, dimes for hooker. Um, which, I don't know, let's sort of pick up on that because. We had a pretty rubbish Saturday at Sale Sharks fans. And then, you know, you think it can't get any worse and we wake up to the news on Sunday morning that there's an article in the Pendant, in the Independent about Steve Diamond, which it's, I can not, without exaggeration, call an absolute character assassination of him and mostly the club. Um, I'm going to go straight to you, James, and say, what did you think? What's your response? And, you know... What's your response to both the article and the the sort of Twitter hype that's then ensued? Well, I hope everybody strapped themselves in because in Lewis's absence, uh, I do feel the need that I need to go on a rant on this, although my view might be slightly different to his, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I mean, look, there are areas in that the article discusses which are clearly problems. Um, the first is the role of Steve Diamond, both as part owner and also as director of rugby, which I will return to. Um, the second is a lack of media coverage of sale more generally. Um, I mean, the Shark Tank podcast is pretty much the only independent media channel covering sale regularly. And clearly that is not a good thing for club brand. It's not a good thing for rugby union. Um, great for and- our listeners, though. Great for our listeners, of course, of course. Um, you hear it here first. Um, but, I mean, when I actually got down into the article, I have to say I was pretty frustrated. Um, is it really the media that fear to tread? Um, or is it that the MEN and BBC Manchester have made cuts to their budgets and withdrawn from Rugby Union to focus on football and rugby league? How can that possibly be blamed on Steve Diamond? Um, where was the honesty in the article in admitting that the London-centric media and rugby community have failed to understand, care or appreciate the challenges of professional rugby in the north of England? The resilience of people like Steve Diamond have played a real significant part in, frankly, saving rugby union in the northwest. And this is a region that has produced far beyond its proportional share of premiership players and, indeed, England players too. So... In fact, I mean, look, the prolific nature of Sale itself, the Sale Academy, it continues and the way that the club runs and Steve Diamond, he's invested in in the academy structures and given local homegrown players chances, despite the threat of relegation. And I think that is unparalleled. And then when you consider what Steve has done on a third of the budget of most of the clubs, and, you know, frankly, we've, we've run the club financially in a better, more sound way than a lot of other ones out there with recently released figures... Not mentioned at all in the article. Nothing at all about anything about any of that stuff. So it's my opinion that the article was imbalanced and one-sided, and it was deliberately so. It was personally motivated attack on Steve Diamond, and it was overlaid, I felt, by a a general condescending tone towards Sale as a club, and actually a complete disregard for loyal and committed Sale Sharks fans. Um, I thought it was a decapitation mission by the journalist, with a grudge, um, possibly briefed by a, disgrunt- a disgruntled ex-employee, um, and more worrying, to be fair, um, a potential existing employee too. Um, one thing I would say about that is how you know, look, 
if if that is true and they're going to the media, external media about it, and they don't feel that like they're able to talk about this openly um, within the sale organisation, then that is an issue. Um, look, there, there are questions that must be asked about Diamond as director of rugby and as part owner. It, it, you know, when the team start to not perform too well, that's a conflict of, of interests. And it's also my view that great leaders surround themselves by people who think differently and challenge the status quo all of the time. So it is essential that this is happening behind the closed doors at Carrington, and I hope it is. Um, this article is, 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 is one view, and I think it's an imbalanced view. Um, it doesn't mean that, it's, that there isn't some truth in it. So look, all I ask is that there are people in the, in the organisation that feel that they can talk, they can challenge the status quo. Um, and I think that the article raises important points, so on both Diamond's role, as I've just said, but most importantly on player safety. And I think that was the things that concerned me the most. But I am a little bit sceptical, frankly, of the evidence um, on that. Um, because what we've heard around Diamond is that he really looks after his, his players um, and he's got their back. He is old school. Um, and I know that he's got question marks about maybe the game going soft, but to jump straight to um, he's keeping Ben Curry on the pitch when he shouldn't be, which is what it insinuated, I think is quite a big jump. Um, it also highlights, I think, the constant flow of negative sale-based headlines in the mainstream press. Uh, I mean, when was the last positive one? I, I can't remember. We've had Ashton stuff. We've had Solomona more than three times. We've had diamond bands every every season. Um, and I think it is compounded by sales bunker mentality. And, and Steve has used those words himself. So we need to change our approach to dealing with the media, no question. But let's not pretend that this is a good article. Let's not pretend that this journalist had any intention of being balanced or was motivated with the best of intentions for Sail Sharks, its fans, or for Rugby Union in the Northwest. Um, you know, and, and they, they wonder, the establishment wonder why we do have a bunker mentality. That said, both need to change perception for the good of the game more generally. I think this journalist owed the general public a more balanced and less personal article especially people who know less about sale. Um, and sale need to create a new culture, one that is outward-looking, is positive and open to scrutiny. So, look, I think there are learnings from this article. Um, I've been on a bit of a run. I don't know what everyone else thinks of it. Hopefully, I've been reasonably balanced myself. Uh, James, over and out. Well done, mate. Very, uh, very well put. I, I'm going to pretty much agree with you to be fair um i know it doesn't make a very interesting podcast but lewis isn't here so let's have some nice nice moments um you know i think i in in summary it's an article with some points in it but i I think it's a really good point that it was not written in a balanced way and that is fine but as long as people know that it was not written in a balanced way, it wasn't. Here's this evidence. Here's that evidence. Maybe the truth somewhere in between. There's always a grey line. What it was was here's the worst evidence and here's all of it, and I'm going to spin it to support my agenda. And I think that's the massively frustrating thing. And you could tell that because there were little comments about the way the coaches looked, and you know, little comments that Dimes said. Anyone can, I, I can go and find a, one of Sam Peters's quotes, I'm sure, and pull it out and make it sound terrible about rugby. I'll, maybe if I was that interested, I'd do it. But actually, at the end of the day, you're a journalist, you write for the Independent and the Sunday Times, and I think 
what what it came across as was sensationalist and a sort of written because he knew that it would get published because it was controversial and I just hope that when people read it and I think it's too late but when people read it I thought it came across as a rant rather than an article and hopefully people have picked that up um so that's broadly my views on it um Lewis has tweeted his views should we clarify that that was Lewis we we messaged each other went is that you no, not me. Good. Um, so, there are views. He did find a way of, 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 of sitting on the fence. And look, there, there might be some difficult stuff in here, and I hope that behind closed doors there's some really straight and direct questions. Um, you know, if there is any truth in any of these things, and player safety must always come first. Um, I just think it's a, what a shame that uh, you know the general public are going to be picking up a rugby union article in The Independent and uh, getting a view of Sale and Steve Diamond like that, because Steve, you know, has his negatives, all humans do. Um, there might be an element of a flawed character in there, but there are two sides to what he's done and what he does for Sale, and uh, there is an enormous positive side um, that just has not been um, delivered at all in that article, and I think that that's... Um, it, it's more than a shame. I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a dereliction of duty, actually, um, in terms of informing the public. So I know there's a lack of scrutiny of sale. We've talked about it before on this podcast. It is a worry. How much of that is um, sales fault? I don't know. Um, well, I do know that it's not their fault that there aren't any journalists. But if I was rugby union people, I'd be pretty concerned that, um, you know, the, the local media don't want to cover us as a club. And I don't think it's because Steve Diamond is a bit aggressive in his answers. I mm. think it's because football and rugby league are the primary sports. But if you look at the amount of people we produce, you know, careful what you wish for, basically. Rugby union in the northwest is, you know, ha- potentially hanging on a, on a knife thread if we went down. Um, and a lot of people wouldn't care about that. And I think that that is uh, uh, massively short-sighted. I- I'm... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pulling a lot of these issues all together in one thing. Of course, you know, Steve Diamond, he has to take ownership of the fact we're bottom of the league right now. And he said that we'd be fighting for top six this year. I hope he still turns it around. He has to be held to account. There's a conflict of interest with his part owner. You know, that's an issue. Um, you know, so look, I hope they're talking about all these things and we can get some clarification from Steve and from the owner, from uh, from Simon Orange o- o- over time. But uh, uh, frankly, I, I, I think... Um, I think uh, this article is one to uh, not put in your favourites. So, after that article on Sunday, we have a couple of days of reaction to that. Um, and then our, our mentions go nuts again. Um, after, I think, were we an exclusive on this? I believe, not an exclusive, but... Yeah, I think I think we, 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 we were pretty good on this. I think Lewis has just basically just been absolutely on it um, yeah. on his holiday, thinking about all things sale. Yeah. Um, go, and, go, and get a, go and get a life, mate, um, <laughs> if you're listening to this. But, I mean, yeah, so we now have a new a new hooker. Um, <laughs> so our depth of hooker is now extraordinary. Yeah. We've, got, we've got Dimes, we've got West, we've got Neil Briggs, who coaches the Jets. Uh, bring a, it's, a, it's a place to be if you're a hooker. I mean, what's your view? So... We've appointed Dorian West as a forwards coach. Um, you know, I think there's a view that we've 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 got some issues in the forwards. 
Um, Dorian West has been a forwards coach at clubs in the last decade who have won premierships. Um, but it's fair to say there's been mixed reaction to his um, signing up. So what, what's your view? Um, I am not going to pass judgment. The forwards isn't my area of expertise anyway, mate. I uh, I stood out the back and watched them. But I uh, so that's not that's not just why I'm uh, not passing judgment. But you know, I think he has he has done good things. He had a really torrid time at the end of the Saints sort of um, period. But you know, there's plenty of people who've had torrid times at places left and then gone on to something better because the culture wasn't right or the environment wasn't right. You know, whatever. If you're telling me that players who have worked under Steve Diamond for two or three years are going to see Dorian West come in and go, oh, this is a bit too much for me, then you're absolutely wrong. Like, you know, that article was utter rubbish mostly, but there's a few good points in it, and one of them was that Diamond is old school, and if, you know, if you've not pulled your weight, then you're going to know about it. So it baffles me that people think that our players are going to be, you know, oh, no, Dorian West is being nasty to me. He's not. He's not going to be any worse than Dimes. What he will do is bring a fresh sort of face into the setup at a time when it's probably needed, you know, changes sometimes. A, a really good thing and I think at Sale we've had the same coaching set up for a, quite a while which is nice because it used to be chopping and changing all the time um, but maybe we need something else you know we have a defence coach we have an attack coach we we don't really sort of have a have a forwards or a backs coach so how he fits in is going to be interesting but I'm you know I'm I'm interested to see what happens. That's probably the best way. I'm I'm neither excited nor nervous. I'm just I I don't think it's going to have a massive impact on where we are. We as we said at the very start of this podcast, the only way is up. So let's see what happens. I think um, that's sort of my summary of it. What are your thoughts on on him and his appointment? Well, you know, there's a lot of Northampton fans sort of laughing, including some of my, my friends, um, because I think he did sort of leave under a cloud at the end. There was question marks over the, the culture and lost the dressing room at the Saints. Um, there's question marks over how he adjusted to the change in um, scrummaging uh, laws. But, you know, look, he supported, he was a pretty much a double act with Jim Allender and they won the premiership. Um, they got to the final of the Champions Cup. Um, as well at Saints so I think you say it's fresh it's someone new I think he's somebody who's going to be on the paddock all the time you know I think um, where the article again sort of really sort of lacked a bit of judgment is Steve Diamond isn't on the paddock at Carrington driving training all of the time actually it's run by most of the coaches there's a big player um, part of how they're coached how you know we, we talked about discipline as well so the senior players have big input and that, that there was again no mention of any of that in that article he's doing west will be on the paddock all the time we don't know what this means for dan richmond uh we have i have seen him in a photo on the paddock with pete anglesey um so it looks like pete is still involved and and, and maybe we'll continue to focus on with neil briggs on the sort of transition of Jets into the into the senior team. Whether it's the right decision or not is whether we see change. I don't think we're going to see change straight away. We've got to give him some time. I think the interesting one is, does this mean um, a return for Jim Mallander maybe at some point? Um, he has taken a new role, I think, in the RFU. Um, but it has been rumoured. And the fact that Dorian West is here is sidekick possible what do you reckon yeah i think that would be the ideal sort of um 
ideal because at the end of the day, Dimes isn't isn't the director of rugby and has never wanted to be one, or has never wanted to be a head. You know, director of rugby is a pretty loose term, isn't it? But he's never wanted to be the main guy. He's wanted to be upstairs and have a a proper sort of director of rugby in place. So, you know, I think that would be ideal. Whether it happens, I mean, Jim Mallander has a long history at Sale. And he's got a history with Steve Diamond. He's got a history of Dorian West. If if those are all good histories, which as far as I know they are, but I I don't know. Um, so we you know it, it depends on that. Um, I I think it would be a really good move for Sale. Is it a good move for Jim Mallander? Probably. Um, I mean, I think roles at the RFU are a easy to come by and b probably massively frustrating given that the RFU as an organisation is in a bit of a you know state itself at the moment so I think that is probably something that I would love to see happen I would love it I think it would be really really good for the club and I'd be really interested to see what happens with it whether it will is um, very much I, I, I don't think we can say that Dorian West has come because Jim Mallinder's coming I just think it might facilitate um, Jim Mallinder coming back one day in the future. Um, so, but I would, I would love to see it happen. Would, uh, would you agree? I don't know whether. Yeah, I mean, Jim's a sale hero. He's, you know, he's sort of born and, you know, he's a proper sale lad. Mm-hmm. Um, played for us for many, many years. Coaches to success. Um, knows how to work with Steve Diamond. Let's be honest. Probably, you know, is going to be small the key percentage. thing, and it isn't easy. Um, and he goes out to work with Dorian West. Um, also, if uh, James O'Connor does uh, go back to Western Forces, rumoured, then uh, we could do with uh, <laughs> young Harry. You can kick a goal and cover ten and all the rest of it. So, you know, uh, Harry Mallander that would be quite nice. Um, but no, I think we are probably jumping the gun. I think it's easy to join the dots. Um, I think Jim, you know, he's he's probably one of those characters who stays loyal. He's made an agreement to do this role with the RFU. So. Maybe he wants to see it through round the next under twenty world championship or the under the under eighteen next tour or whatever it is that he's looking after. Um, so you know maybe we we just have to wait for for that. I do. I have always thought that we would wait. Dimes would basically see us through to the end of the World Cup next year as director of rugby, and then we would be all out to try and bring in someone like Andy Farrell mm. um, or Alex Anderson or so, someone someone like that. But um, so I always thought there would be a plan because I, I, I'm sure they've looked at this and thought, God, you know, there is a conflict of interests. I mean, these people aren't silly. They're very successful businessmen, um, including Steve himself. So, yeah, um, that's my view on, on that. So where, when do you think we look at it and go as it worked or not? When do you think we sort of stop and look back? I think it's going to be a while because I I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to get two premiership games, not enough time. You're going to get three European games probably not really going to focus on them then you're going to get some premiership cup games irrelevant um so i think i think christmas probably is the time to go where are we and is it better than where we were um so it's a long time but i i think we what we don't need to do which is what people do they'll go we'll probably lose next week at leicester you know on the bare facts of it um and people will go absolutely nuts and say oh well you've had Dorian West and it hasn't worked and we'll have rugby inside line putting 20 crying emojis on their tweets again because they're hilarious um you know so 
We'll see, but I think as Sale fans, as a Sale fan, I am going to hold out and go, right, this change has been made, let's see where we're at in... You know, and fair play, the, the forwards has been an issue this season. We've brought in a forwards coach. You can't deny that you know we've addressed that. Um, what we've not addressed are the things like depth in the forwards and stuff, but it's probably a case of Dorian West was available. He's probably a, a, available at a reasonable rate. Um, he's a mate of dimes, and it's easy to just get him in and bring him straight into the setup. So, yeah, I think come Christmas, let's look at it. Let's not look at it after Leicester next week. But on the other hand, um, let's look at Leicester next week with James Maidley's Leicester preview. That was superb. Thank that you. That was absolutely superb. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not going to bang on as usual because you've all heard my voice too much this week anyway. But, I mean, look, Leicester have not had a brilliant start to the season either. Pretty slow. They've sacked their boss after one game. I mean, I thought that was ridiculous. They must have known they were looking to make that change and therefore should have made it after they beat us last game of the season. Um so they've had a bit of a turbulent start to the season. They've lost away at Exeter and away at Wasps. Well, no shame in that. That's tough. Um, they won at home against Newcastle. Um, and two Langley looked back to his best. And then they lost last week at home to Worcester. Which is, you know, if they won that, you can see them really getting on a roll. And that's kind of brought them crashing back to earth. Um, they've scored a total of 127 points this season. Um, so it's quite a lot. Mm. Um, so when you're considering our individual um, tackle rate um, Alex then that's a bit of a concern isn't it but um, you know I think well, I'm a bit worried basically because if you lose at Welford Rose to Worcester living in Leicester is just going to be unbearable the only way they can put it right is by smashing sale by 50 points and they are a bit like when they turned up to us last game of the season there's a chance of them not getting in the top six they just they were just all superhuman and I, and I think they're going to pull out a similar superhuman Thing and with our resilience being quite low and confidence quite low, it, it, it does look a, a bit fearsome. But no, I, I'm just interested in your, in your take, really. I mentioned Tulangi, but and we know that Tulangi Youngs are struggling to be fit, but should be fit for the game. Um, are there any other players that you'd like to pick out that we should watch out for as sale fans? <laughs> Leicester, <laughs> if we want to watch out for, them. I think uh, for me, Leicester are a side that runs off George Ford, and when Ford plays well, they they play well and when Ford doesn't play well they are there for the beating we didn't play well when we went up there last season we should have beaten them uh, when they came to us he played outstandingly well and you know they absolutely we never looked like getting near him so he is the key um, I Toulouse Vianu step is giving me nightmares given our tackle rate this weekend um, so that is going to be a scary one I think you know Leicester aside that you know what they're going to do up front. They're just going to be a solid pack and they're not really going to give you any surprises. We're not going to get one over on them in the pack. Um, so you have to sort of go to the backs and go, can we put pressure on Ford? Can we have one of the Currys latching onto him and getting him off his game straight away from you know the first whistle? Um, and then can we stop him releasing the likes of... May and Vianu because I think Leicester you know Leicester aren't a good side at the moment they are a, they're a they're a wounded animal which you know comes in two forms a wounded animal will lash out but at the same time it is wounded you know they've not got two along Eastman's been injured and sort of came back um second half of last game I think um so he's sort of in and around but I just I, I think they are there for the taking but 
we have to be really on it and really careful. And yeah, what surprised me this season actually was that after the Quins game, Dimes said, "Yeah, we went down there. We probably thought they were a bit of an easy pickings, and we just sort of, you know, we've come back hurt." And it astounds me that any professional rugby club can do that. Um, I think you have to go and you have to think this is going to be an absolute battle. These guys are at home; they're going to want to stick it to us. And we've got to be on it from the first whistle. And it's nice that, you know, last season we probably didn't start well and um, our line-up's rubbish. This season we've started pretty well and our line-up's been decent. They're the two good changes we've seen from last season. What we've got to do on the weekend is make a shed load more changes. And, you know, we've got to compete with Leicester up front and then we've got to get our backs into the game. I think, you know, it's... it In terms of... How we beat them, I, I don't know. I don't see that we can beat them up front. I think it's going to have to be score a load of points, get four tries and hope that our defence holds. Um, but, you know, that's that's a very risky tactic. I do, yeah, well, do you think not like scoring four, four tries this yeah. season. Yeah. So it's difficult to know where to go to. We've seen Van Rensburg and O'Connor back out training. I doubt they'll risk them at Leicester. I, you, we might get them on the bench, maybe, against Newcastle. Mm. Um, but I think from where we our understanding was, they're sort of aiming at the first European game. Um, but you never know. But no, we're not going to have them. I think the Leicester pack is not what it was, and it hasn't been for the last two or three years. Spencer's just got banned for, for that tackle, I think, so he's unavailable. Cole's been struggling for a bit of form. Genji's injured. Denton's not having the impact that they hoped for but it's clear that if they get enough possession you know uh, Youngs and Ford will basically be manoeuvring us around on a piece of string and they'll be I mean Ford you know he can pick out he always picks the right pass and when you've got May Tulangi Vianu you know this Oluwafella as well um, who played at 15 last week I mean he's just very similar to Vianu really steps off both feet rapid um, so I think it's a, it's a it's a massive ask and we all need a huge amount of luck. The, as you say, they're a wounded animal, and they want to—they will want to kill us. And because of the situation, they're not just going to get to four tries and like thirty points and be fine. They—they—they they, they want to kill us and score sixty points. I mean, they—they they literally want to murder us, and they don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Our mentality has to be—we're going to find out a lot, basically, about our team. And I think if we stay within 20 points and we put our bodies on the line, um, then that's all we can ask for this week. Um, and then clearly Newcastle is just going to be—it's just <laughs> going to be a massive game. And I, I, just thinking about it, stressing me out. That's for that's for next week's podcast. Yeah. Um, so what, what about um, predictions then? Did we do any predictions last week? We did do predictions last week. Um, I have to confess that uh, I did the tweet relatively late. Um, so we only had a few people, but us three entered, and then uh, a selection of others. Um, I'm going to go off Twitter usernames, so apologies um, if I pronounce any of these wrong. But um, only three people predicted the right result this week. The rest was predicted a win. Um, so that was GLA Baxter, Martin Whiteley, and Paul Swift, um, all with two points. GLA Baxter was top of the league with a seven points difference. So congrats. Uh, you were the best points difference of the losers. So congrats to you. I was bottom of the table. Uh, everyone else somewhere in the middle. I'll tweet that out. Um, cumulatively wise, then. Um, 
Most people on two or four points at this point. Um, all of us three are on four points. Uh, so there's not been a massive amount of movement because not many people did much. Um, but G. Ali Baxter is the only person with a perfect record this season so far with six points. Points difference 12. So congrats. Looks like um, he's on for um, a pretty decent season if uh, you can keep it up. Um, so... I guess then to just go straight into this week's predictions, and I promise I'll tweet them out sooner than last week, um, is is the idea. We haven't got Lewis. We haven't really talked enough about the fact that we haven't got Lewis, have we, by the way? Uh, I feel like, you know, we need to just sort of revel in that a little bit. Um, no, we're looking forward to having you back, Lewis. This whole having to drive the conversation ourselves is terribly... Yeah, it's uh, absolutely exhausting. terrible. We need to be asked questions and then yeah, insult I you. Yeah, just to just turn up and just disagree with you, whatever you say. You know, yeah. we don't need to do much prep for that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, I take it all back. Um, come come back quick next week. Come back quick. Um, no predictions for this week, Christ almighty. Uh, I mean, it could be anything, couldn't it? <laughs> it, re- it really but, genuinely could. Uh, but, but you know, I, I ultimately wouldn't be surprised if we just sort of, sort of come back and it's been a sale win. It, like, it's just impossible to know. Like at the moment, I, I think it's going to be sale for uh, sorry, uh, yeah, sale fourteen, Leicester forty two. Uh, I think I think it I think it's going to be pretty tough. But I, you know, good luck to the boys. Yeah, I'm going to go with I'm going to be really optimistic again. I'm going to go with sale twenty six, Leicester thirty five. So that's that's as optimistic as you get in this week, because um, you know I I I can't predict a win. I'm sorry, I just cannot do it. That would be uh, ridiculous because I don't think we're going to win. But you never know with this team. And I predicted a win last week, and I was wrong. Um, you obviously predicted a draw last week. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I just thought it'd be a high-scoring draw. But you yeah. know, look, we want to finish this podcast, don't we, on some positive notes because it's been a tough week to be a sales sharks fan um, and and and, you, and we should all just pause for a moment and just think about the players the coaching staff the off-field staff at Carrington um, and you know what they don't really need probably is is fans just just focusing solely on the negatives you know we can't avoid that it's been a poor start to the season but equally we, we don't, just don't want to like crush them we need to find a way back um, so I just want to just pause for two minutes just on the, the Jets game. We, we did lose, uh, but there were some positives, weren't there, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, don't know who else watched it, but I um, I sat down on Monday night and watched Sale Jets on the telly and was, other than the first sort of... we Basically, we went three tries down because the scrum was getting hammered. Um, and if you take the scrum out of it, which I think you have to at a level where you're not training every week, etc., etc., the only worry was that it was Taras and Jones, but you know, let's we're, yeah, so we're in, let's not worry about we're in the positive bit. Smashed at Jets level, yeah. Let's yeah. move quickly on from that. <laughs> it's, uh, it was it was an exciting game. There were some good, really good performances. Um, just pick out a couple because um, you watched it as well, didn't you? On record, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think if I was to pick out two players who I thought, yeah, I like the look of you, that would probably be. Kieran Wilkinson, I believe all the hype now. He is awesome. He just looks so assured. Uh, he looks way above Jets level, and I can't wait until he is. He is still young, and so he should still be playing at Jets to get that game time. But I can't wait until he's up there at the Premiership level. Um, there are actually three, but I'll stick with the original two. Uh, Sam Dugdale at seven. I think it's Sam Dugdale. Yeah. He was. Superb. Yeah. 
really, really good. And I think that is an exciting prospect coming through and a bit different to what we've got in the back row. Sort of yeah, more... and he can play six, seven, or eight. He's playing at eight for Fylde at the moment, so he's backed up. I think he played on Saturday, and he's backed up and played on Monday, like a few of the lads. Yeah, so that's even more impressive to do it two days after playing, you know, a game at Fylde. Where knowing when I played at Fylde, he probably got kicked to absolute bits. Um, so you know, I they are two positives, I think. And then I thought Gus War as well looked pretty good when he. Uh, I think he came on. For Sturgis, and I thought he looked pretty, uh, pretty lively. And um, they were sort of the three that I thought, yeah, you, you look good, and I'm excited to see you in two years' time in Salesshirt. I think. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're they're the three that I would have picked out. I mean, there are other good players in there. We have some talent in the backs, but they're just a lot younger. A lot of these other sort of uh, Shield teams, that you know, so Cavaliers, all that kind of stuff. You know, they play their backup players, and we did put out a stronger pack than we have done but you know these people are sort of you know 24 25 you know fringe squad players that these other players point out we're putting out 18 19 year olds and we're stronger this year than we were last year so we're, we you know we're, we've still lost i think that we only won one game we won the first game we've lost the others but we're more competitive last season we were getting smashed and uh, don't forget that we are sending a lot of these players out on loan to file to coldy uh, and obviously a lot are going to sale fc um, Kieran Wilkinson was on the bench for Sale FC this week he started the week before so they obviously knew he was going to start for the Jets this Monday because there was no game last Monday and yeah I mean he's you know he's he's a, he's a serious talent and I, I thought maybe he plateaued a bit last year but maybe he was just concentrating on doing his A-levels yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so no I mean he, he looked brilliant um, in that warm-up game as well pre-season mm. for the Jets when we when we you know in the game against FC and, and he, he's going to be a, a top-class player. I think he will be, you know, our backup 10 during the World Cup next year. And then when McGinty's back, he'll continue to be backup 10. So that's good and for the future, isn't continue it? Continue that positivity. You're going to send us out with a little bit of a rallying call, are you? I am, yeah. Because, you know, I think we agreed that it's been a tough week. And we need to get things in perspective because, you know, Saturday afternoon, I'll freely admit I was sat there thinking, what is going on? This this is really bad. This is as bad as I've seen it for a little uh, a little while. And it's it's been a massively tough week. And I don't think we can we can sort of hide from that. Um, we're at the bottom. Let's look at the facts. We're at the bottom of the table. All the sides around us are looking much better than us, and we haven't really got an obvious safety net like we've had before. Um, so, I in in looking at you know how I was going to approach this podcast positively, I went back to twenty twelve thirteen because that's the worst sort of time I can remember. Um, first season in the AJ Bell. Um, I'm not saying that's it's linked, but that was also my first season without a season ticket for about ten years. Um, so. I'm going to run through our opening for three fixtures because I had a look. We lost 43-6 away at Exeter, absolutely hammering him. This wasn't when Exeter were, you know, Premiership champions. This was when Exeter were newly promoted club. Uh, we lost 23-16 at home to Sarries, and then we lost 37-14 away to Quinns. So we're three games in, you know, we've had three losses. It's not looking great. Bear in mind this is a season where Danny Cipriani and Richard Gray joined, so we had a lot of hype around new players, etc., etc. We then had our next game, and we lost 29-19 at home to London Welsh. And, you know, there are low points and there are low points. Um, 
we've had some pretty tough times over the last few years and that has got to be one of them. Um, we've had to pull ourselves out of the shit, not only on the field, but off the field. Club nearly went under in 1999. You know, Brian Kennedy pulled us out. Again, we got pulled out by Corpac. And you imagine if Corpac hadn't come in where we would be now with sort of level of investment. We've had the Mike Brewers, the John Mitchells. The club's been through a lot of shit over the period and yet we are still here. And to sort of pull out some of the things you've said today, we're the only professional rugby team in the North West, one of only two in the North. We provide a massive amount of players. We've got a brilliant academy. Uh, it's just unbelievable how much talent we put out. And we do some great things, you know, the 100 club, the you know the investment we put back into the area. You know, we play some really exciting rugby at times. You know, we've... We take we take supporters on a bit of a journey, you know. It's never it's never dull being a settle fan, is it? I think you can you can absolutely say that. And we've got a fan base that are there's a core of a really really loyal fan base there. And I think you know we've said many times we don't fill the AJ Bell and we don't get what we used to. And I think a lot of that's been teething issues with the stadium and the traffic, etc., etc., etc. But still, you know, there were times in that season, 2012-13, and the season afterwards, where I sat there and went, I don't know whether I can be bothered to drive 45 minutes in traffic to a stadium that's 10 minutes from my house and sit and watch a team get battered. And yeah, I did it, and a load of other people did it because they love sail sharks and because that this club sort of has taken us to massive highs and will continue to take us to massive highs. And we've got players who are exciting. We've got coaches who are committed to the club. We've got owners who are massively committed to the club. And we've got a future that is really, really bright. And we're in a bit of a chip patch at the moment. Let's not mince our words. But there are two options with that. It's to either go, right, well, this was all pointless exercise. Simon Orange and Jed Mason, thanks very much. But it's not going to work out. We're going to get relegated. Or you can get behind the team, get behind the players, get behind the management. And at the end of the day, go there are individuals there are always going to be individuals in a club and a structure and a team that you don't get on with but we all love sail sharks and you know you said at the start our beloved club it is our beloved club and we sacrifice a lot to go and watch them and you know we pay a lot of cash and we turn up week in week out and it's because we love them and I think you've got to remember that when it gets to these tough times because the only thing worse than watching sail struggle at the bottom of the table is going to be not watching sail because they're not a club anymore. And, you know, there are teams that have gone down to the Championship and have just sort of fallen away into nothing. Rotherham are a prime example. Leeds slash Yorkshire, whatever they're called now. You know, they're clubs that had massive crowds and have fallen away into nothing. And we've sort of stuck through that because we've got a good academy and the people who are committed. And you've just, I just think, and I think you would agree with me, James, generally, that as fan base, as a podcast, we are we've got to stick by the club in a time when it is difficult, but at the same time, there is a brighter future. You know, we we've said all oh, these players coming back they might not make an impact, but they are still internationals coming back into our team. We have still got some really good players and we have still got a team that did really good things at times last season. So I think we need to cut out negativity for a little bit and go, let's get behind the team. You know, all jump on the Steve Diamond is the Messiah bandwagon, but at the same time, let's go. Diamonds is the head of the team and the club that we are supporters of, so let's get behind them. And I think that is what you do as supporters. That is what we'll have to do for eternity. So let's do it. I mean, that is a statement uh, that I think that, that Lewis and I are, are proud to put our names to as well. 
look, we're in the shit. There's no magic wand. It's not going to all suddenly get better tomorrow. It probably isn't going to get better at Leicester. But, it, it, you know, we've got to be hopeful and we've got to stick with the club and hope that it does turn around and get better. And that starts with us doing our own bit as fans. And that starts for the Newcastle home game. Buy your tickets, get down there, let's pack out that crowd, let's be vocal and get behind the boys because they're going to be trying their best to turn this around. Everyone is. Um, so let's do our best to, to support them in doing that. Um, good. Right. There's another week come and gone. Lewis is back to run the show again next <laughs> week. Um, thank you, everybody. And thank you, Alex. Thank you, mate. Thank you to Opta. Thank you to um, everyone who listens. Thank you, James, for being a wonderful host. Um, you know, I know you don't want to do it again, but if you if you do, you could because it was great. <laughs> no, no, never again. <laughs> Your turn next time. <laughs> Absolutely not, Lewis. We can't wait to have you back. Uh, and on that note, we'll see you all next week. Bye.